Welcome to the First Principles of Medicine podcast. In this series, we will be breaking down complex medical topics into their first principles. When the stress is on and you've just been asked a tough question that you don't know the answer to, we feel you'll be able to fall back on these principles to formulate a decent answer and perhaps reason your way out of trouble. On today's episode of 1pm, our resident respiratory scientist Jason will be talking to us about the management of asthma. Take it away, Jason. Hi, my name is Jason. Welcome to the First Principles of Medicine podcast. I'm joined by Dan, Adian, and JT. So today we're discussing the long-term management of asthma. And to really understand it, you got to understand what makes up the airway, okay? So I want everyone to think of the airway as a tube, which is made out of three layers. So can anyone tell me what those three layers would be? The outer middle and inner layers? Yeah, so let's start from the out, outermost. Yeah. Does anyone know? The smooth muscle, Yeah, perhaps? So the airway smooth yeah. muscle, okay? Yeah. So that's one layer, which is important to understand. So what would be the middle layer? Would it be the cartilage? Yeah, so cartilage is part of it, but the cartilage as a whole makes up the airway wall. So other things which, make, which are in the airway wall are things like, does anyone know? Connective tissue, goblet cells, yeah. um, epithelium. Yeah, so you've got blood vessels, well, what Dan said, yeah, epithelium. And it's important to know that you've got the goblet cells and submucosal glands. And do you know what those functions are? They have secretory functions. Yeah, perhaps. and what do they secrete? Um, go for it, Dan. Mucus. 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 Yeah. Mucus. Yeah. Okay. And now, what is our most innermost layer? So the third layer. The uh, endothelium? Epithelium? No. I'm thinking like more functional ah, layers like... The mucus. The mucus. Yeah. So the mucus layer. So... Oh. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So if you understand these oh, three layers... Is it actually three layers then? So it's two layers plus the mucus, is it? So you're, you're treating the mucus as a layer of the... Yes. Yeah. It's going to be a big discussion if we yeah. get into... Just... Okay. <laughs> yeah, layers. All I want you to realize that there are three main layers. You've got the airway smooth muscle, which is the outermost. Yeah. You've got the airway wall. And you've got the mucus layer, which is sure. the innermost. Okay. And the lumen is... So these are not an anatomical layers? They're kind of anatomical layers. I'm just trying to help simplify things, okay. JT. Uh, no, okay. no, no, I'm, I'm just yeah. confused. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess because that middle layer, you could you could like subdivide it more, right? Mm. Into different layers. But okay. in terms of the function of the airways, yeah. the middle layer, like they, they, they do the same thing. They all part of the same function. Okay. And then the mucus is a separate function. Are you there? Yeah. Are you? So mucus okay, layers are in the most. You've got the airway wall, which is made, which is like gives the structure because it has okay. the cartilage, yeah, has yeah. the goblet cells, blood vessels, and then you've got oh, the okay. outermost layer. Okay. So okay. now that we understand those three things, can we think about what, effect asthma has on each of those layers so starting on the airway smooth muscle does it cause the constriction of the these smooth muscles to spasm yeah, yeah. And so cause the, the airway point. to narrow the lumen to narrow consequently so one of the key features of asthma is that the airway smooth muscle is muscle is hyper responsive mm. and what is it hyper responsive to uh, i think no so all the allergens that yeah. people could be allergic to to triggers and by so. what i what i mean by hyper responsive is that, for example, when an asthmatic uh, has an upper respiratory tract infection mm. or exposed to triggers like cold air or their pet... Pollution. Yeah, pollution, things like Smoking. that. The airway smooth muscle contracts, and when it contracts, it narrows the lumen of the airway, okay? And if you've got a narrow lumen, that, would, that makes it harder for air to pass through. Okay. okay. Now, moving on to the next feature, the airway wall. What happens to the airway wall in asthmatics? With chronic insults, don't you get remodeling? 
So yeah. it gets thicker, you get hypertrophy of the mucus. what causes the remodeling? What causes a yeah. chronic inflammation or chronic inflammation? Yeah. So what Dan said, chronic inflammation causes airway remodeling, okay? And what do you mean by airway remodeling? As in uh, basically the, it just gets thicker, you get more, it's called fibrosis, scarring, um, um, goblet cells, you probably get some scarring. I mean, chronic inflammation would cause that. So if you get more goblet cells, does that mean you get more mucus production? Hey, yeah. that, okay, no yeah, spoilers, yeah. JT. Oh, no, no spoilers, okay, but going too far. No, you're no, on the right okay. point. So, Are you going for hypertrophy and hyperplasia? Yeah, so basically when you've got inflammation, the airway wall thickens, okay? There are more blood blood vessels because inflammation is causes like angiogenesis. You get larger submucosal glands, larger goblet cells. And that leads me onto the third point, right? Mm. The mucus layer. What happens to the mucus layer in asthmatics? Thicker. Yeah. yeah thicker. Yeah, and becomes thicker. <laughs> it becomes thicker because of yeah, those because of that inflamed airway yeah. wall. Okay. Does the wait? Hang on. Does does the mucus layer get thicker because the airway wall is getting thicker, or does the mucus layer get thicker because there's more goblet cells producing more mucus? Yes, the second oh, thing you said. Yes, yeah, sorry. When the airway wall is inflamed, gotcha. that leads to yeah. goblet cells yep. and submucosal glands becoming bigger yep. and more of them, which leads to increased mucus secretion. Yep. And okay. then the airway is even more narrowed? Yeah. Okay. So all those three things work in conjunction to narrow the airway. Yep. Okay. So as you can imagine, each of those layers can pretty much be targeted with asthma medications. Sure. Okay. Yep. So what would be a drug class which would affect the airway smooth muscle to help prevent the hyper-responsiveness? Anti-hyper-responsiveness medication? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> straight for the jugular, JT. Well, I yeah, actually don't, know, I don't know the class. Okay, yeah, sure. So Dan said beta oh, right. 2 agonists, okay? Yeah. okay? Yeah. So the way beta 2 agonists work is that they help to relax the airway smooth muscle, yeah. which helps to open up the lumen, yeah. okay? So bronchodilation. Okay. And basically beta 2 agonists, they're known as relievers because they provide immediate relief yeah. and relax that airway smooth muscle, Yeah. okay? And beta 2 agonists can be broken down into short acting beta 2 agonists and long acting beta 2 agonists, okay? Mm -hmm. And basically the only difference between those two is their duration of action. And the classic example of a short acting one is salbutamol or Ventolin. It's a classic blue puffer you've probably seen many times before. I have before. it in my bag in fact, in case you yeah. guys want to have it now. Is there a common suffix for a short acting beta agonist? Not, not really. Just salbutamol is the common one. Alls is beta blockers, right? Olol is beta Olo, blocker. Yeah, Olol. I think terol maybe for long acting. Just, just remember salbutamol. Just remember salbutamol. Mm. Okay, Sorry, what's acting. the what's the brand generic name Ventolin. for? What's the generic name for salbutamol? Oh, okay. Yeah. So possibly could be so Olol. Just the all. Oh, I don't know because there's, I don't know. Dude, there's yeah. no okay. just. But the I don't think there's a pattern. The just generic is salbutamol. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The brand names are like Ventolin, Asmol. Stuff like I think that. there could be a suffix, but all right. I think you could be wrong. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay, so that helps manage the airway smooth muscle yeah. problem. Okay, now what about the airway wall inflammation problem? What drug class could we give? Oh, I think we're going to have to go for the steroids. Yeah, so inhaled corticosteroids yeah. or steroids, and they are known oh, as anti inflammatory. Yeah. Inflammation, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they're cool. known as the preventers because they don't provide immediate relief, they're more for continuous prophylactic use. Sure. Okay. Because over time, the inhaled corticosteroids help to reduce the inflammation of the airway wall, and they'll probably help with the mucus secretion as well. Can they so, reduce the thickness as well? 
Well, in here, you're just reducing the pro the inflammatory state, right? Oh, okay. So yeah, that would re- that would re- end up reducing the thickness of the airway. Oh, to back it wall. to its orig- initial state yeah. before the inflammation. I just think the I would I try and think of it as the inflammation as a stimulus for cr- the chronic like increasing of the thickness airway remodeling. Remodel- mm. Yeah. So yeah. if you got that chronic inflammation, that chronically stimulates the airway to get thicker. Mm. You're, you're overthinking okay. this. Airway inflammation leads to remodeling, and it contributes to the. Um, obstruction of the airways okay so by giving an anti-inflammatory that helps reduce the inflammation i think though you're actually right jt so you can get long-term airway remodeling that if it's bad enough you don't reverse back to what it was pre-remodeling so Mm -mm. i know like for example um people who have asthma who've had asthma a long time that hasn't been controlled that the airways are much thicker than controls, right? So non-asthmatics. So their baseline is so their baseline higher, higher. Yep. So the like what Jason was saying though, like yep. the preventives will prevent you from getting worse, but it can't necessarily undo all the damage if you have enough damage. Yeah, okay, that's but what yeah. I was shocked about. Like, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know you could. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got the mucus layer, but in reality, there aren't that many drugs which are used to directly target the mucus layer. So to summarize, the mainstay of treatment of asthma a long-term asthma management is the use of beta-2 agonists and inhaled corticosteroids. Mm. However, there are also other drugs which they use, okay? You've also got things called like muscarinic antagonists, leukotriene receptor agonists, and, and things like those, okay? But it's not important to know. What you need to know for asthma management, in cort- inhaled corticosteroids and beta-2 agonists are your mainstay mm-hmm. for treatment, okay? And because they're the mainstay for treatment, you can usually get puffers which contain both of them in the same puffer. And these are known as combination inhalers. An example of that is like serotide or briolipta, but there are like five or six different puffers. Mm. Okay, but they're just different What's brands. the most common one? Serotide, I think. I think serotide. And that's common. a l- l- Saba or Lava plus an ICS? I think it's Lava plus an ICS. Yeah, okay. usually okay. the combination inhalers include a long-acting beta agonist and an inhaled corticosteroid. Oh, and the Saba is usually for acute management. Yeah. 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 So now that we understand the drug classes, now I want you guys to think about the principles of long-term management. Mm. And basically the principle to go by is that long-term asthma management is a stepwise approach, okay? So what I mean by a stepwise approach is that that's your first step of management. You start off with a low-dose inhaled corticosteroid and you also give them a short-acting beta agonist just for PRN use during like an acute asthma attack, okay? So the next step in escalating their treatment, if there are symptoms still present. So what are the symptoms you're looking for to, to really tell you as a practitioner that their asthma is still not well controlled? What are the sort of questions you're gonna ask them to gauge how well their control is? Uh, well, I imagine because asthma Obviously, the symptoms of asthma is difficulty breathing. Uh, and if the Saba that you give them is to relieve their difficulty breathing, you might ask them how often they're using their Sabas, how often yep. they're feeling like that. Yeah, so you get concerned if they have to use it like multiple times mm-hmm. a day and if they just feel they're not getting any relief from mm-hmm. using it, like the use of the short-acting beta agnes on repeat, that's probably a bad sign, meaning that your asthma management is not up to par, okay? Mm-hmm. So that was your first step. If you notice that the low-dose inhaled corticosteroids is still not working that well, 
you probably want to add on a combination inhaler where it contains a low dose corticosteroid and a long acting beta agonist and then you wait and see and see how well they react to that okay mm-hmm. so that's the second step of escalation and then once again you then see are they managing well at home are their symptoms still persistent do they still have to use a short acting beta agonist okay mm-hmm. And that's when you get to the more complicated management steps and possibly referral to a specialist. Mm. So the the add-on therapy, if like a combination halo is still not providing enough relief, are things like increasing the inhaled corticosteroid dose. Mm-hmm. Okay, You can also do things like consider the, lu- the use of a leukotriene receptor agonist. Mm. I didn't really mention that before because it's usually used sparingly mm. if the asthma is not well controlled. There are also things like muscarinic receptor antagonists, which can be used in conjunction. And you could also consider the use of a low-dose oral steroid. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now that you guys understand that, can we think of some of the management issues you'd come across in a patient with um, asthma? Compliance with medications. So what do you mean by compliance? Maybe they don't want to take it. Maybe they just don't know how to take it properly. Maybe they're not using the inhaler correctly. Okay. So I remember, um, <clears throat> speaking as someone who has asthma, um, the correct way, if I remember, Jason, is when you take your inhalers, you need a spacer because I think all the science shows that using a spacer allows you to actually get the inhaled powder to the lungs where they need to be. But I don't know if you guys have used it before. It's very annoying to... You know, two times a day, you have to go and get this bulky thing, chuck your inhaler on it, stand there like an idiot and breathe into a tube for like 30 seconds. It's not like a big deal, but that is a thing that can affect someone's compliance. Yeah. And the other important reason for using a spacer, other than like what Aideen mentioned, that more of the drug goes into your lungs, is that by using just the puffer itself, a lot of the drug can go to the back of the mouth. And one of the issues is that if you... Uh, one of the issues is that when you use a steroid, if the steroid's going to the back of the mouth, that can increase the risk of getting things like thrush, because steroids mm-hmm. can inhibit the oh, right. inhibit the what, immunosuppression. The, yeah. And then candida or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can maybe scare a patient by saying you, you could get thrush if you don't use his face properly. Huh? So yeah. So Aiden <laughs> just mentioned poor inhaler technique and Dan mentioned another issue with poor compliance. And one of the main reasons patients have poor compliance is that they don't really understand the difference between the preventer and a reliever, Mm. okay? So think of this, okay? You're taking this preventer every day, which is the inhaled corticosteroid, and you're not really feeling much an effect. So why would you continue taking it? Whereas when you take your short-acting beta agonist, it provides immediate relief and you feel so much better, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty rational for a regular person off the street to be like, you know what, this preventer is a waste of time. It's probably causing me side effects. Why should I continue using that where the only thing giving me relief is the beta-2 agonist, okay? But what the patient can sometimes not understand is that by using the preventer, you're actually preventing long-term airway remodeling Mm. because the corticosteroids help to keep the asthma at bay because they help to reduce that inflammation. So, Jason, would you say this is up to patient education yes so patient <laughs> education is extremely important yeah, yeah. and it, it can actually be life-saving in this case because 
Sometimes a patient can have such a severe asthma attack that a reliever won't be able to open the airway enough because the airway wall is so inflamed and there's so much mucus that even re relaxation with the airway smooth mm. muscle with the ventolin may not open the airway enough. Think? Okay. And can anyone think of the last important management issue? What is this related to? To lifestyle. So Just be aware of your um, surroundings, your allergies, your triggers. Yeah. But the issue is sometimes the triggers, you can't get rid of them, right? You can't get rid of cold air. Sometimes if your triggers are present at work, are you just going to euthanize your dog if, <laughs> if, it, if it's a trigger for you? Well, that depends on your values, right? <laughs> Whether or not you want to be triggered every day or do you want your dog to bring happiness? I don't know. Yeah. Surely you're going to balance that by yourself. Yeah. yeah, so that's one of the main issues with asthma management is that sometimes people are just continually exposed to their triggers and there's nothing you can do about it as a yeah. practitioner except euthanize a dog. <laughs> no. Cool. Is there really nothing you can do for the mucus lining? Is there any, any anti-mucus things? I'm glad you asked, Or any JC. suction of mucus? This is can my honours year, my six yeah. months of honours. Let's go, let's okay. go, baby. So let's my go. boy, Peter Henry, okay? He was investigating the effect of azithromycin on mucus secretion. That's okay? an antibiotic. Antibiotic. Yeah. So yeah, okay. the issue is we think it's antibiotic. Oh, that's the only thing it affects is the yeah. bacteria, yeah. right? Yeah. But some of the studies he was doing in mouse models was actually showing that azithromycin has a direct effect on goblet cell and submucosal glands, sure. which is independent of its bacterial effect. Mm. So it's like a side effect. Just like not a side effect. It's more like we just don't know what the hell is going on. Okay. Happy side effect. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. What's the side effect? Just like, that, that, just like that heart attack drug, that Aspirin. blood pressure drug. Oh, the, um, so that, that helped with your viagra. Oh. And, yeah. and fun fact, Never mind. <laughs> mucus secretion is, I would say mucus secretion is probably the least important factor in asthma, but it's an extremely important factor in conditions like, can anyone guess? Cystic fibrosis? No, cystic fibrosis mm. is the main one because they produce mm. a crap ton of mucus, right? There are a few agents, but if you had to compare like the amount of drugs available, which are steroids mm. and and airway smooth muscle relaxers compared with mucus drugs or whatever, um, they're considerably less. Mm. Do, do asthma patients also get a lot of sputum? Yeah. When they're, I assume not when, when they're not well controlled. So they have- Yeah, they, yeah, okay. they, they do cool. tend to get sputum, but it's, I wouldn't say it's the most important feature. It's more the, right, okay. the hyper-responsiveness of the airway smooth muscle. And another th important thing to know, I should have mentioned earlier, is that with COPD has a very similar combination inhaler which is used, but this combination inhaler is slightly different. It contains a long-acting beta agonist and a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, mm -hmm. okay? So inhaled corticosteroids are not used regularly for COPD patients mm. because it increases the risk of a pneumonia. Basically, mm. inhaled corticosteroids are only used when they have an acute exacerbation of COPD. Right, okay. okay. So that's an easy thing to get mixed up. Cool. Okay. Wait, you were just mentioning anti-muscarinic, right? Yeah. Muscarinic. 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 And there, that, is that used in asthma patients? That is used in asthma patients, okay. but... It's one of those add-on therapies, okay, not the key including ones. like okay. third line, including like leukotriene receptor yeah. antagonists. Okay. But those are more like specialist drugs. Okay. My understanding, muscarinic receptor when it's activated yeah. helps. Like, doesn't it cause constriction of the airway smooth muscle or something? I've totally forgotten now. Is it related to cholinergic? Yes, yeah. 
It is. But I don't know yeah. what happens afterwards downstream. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you know, Aiden, or? Uh, no, I think Jason's right. Muscarinic okay. um, is a, in the airways, muscarinic receptor agonist cause bronchoconstriction. Um, and then Bron- to bronchoconstriction. Oh, so anti-muscarinic. So anti-muscarinics. Yeah. Bronchodilation. But also muscarinics have a secretor or secretory effect. Yeah. So if you a- antagonize um, muscarinic receptors, you might reduce mucus secretion, potentially. Yeah. So. But I do know in COPD, you, you, you do use anti-muscarinic. Right? Yeah. That's my point. So it's just easy to get mixed up. But what I I wanted you to remember was that for asthma, you use long-acting beta agonists and inhaled corticosteroids. Whereas in COPD, you use long-acting beta agonists and long-acting muscarinic muscarinic. antagonists. Llamas and labas. Yes. But it's very easy to get mixed up. So I see. see. Yeah. I didn't even know that, so I wasn't going to get that mixed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another thing to note too, okay? Does asthma oh. mainly affect expiration or inspiration? Inspiration. No. Fuck. <laughs> 50%. <laughs> I didn't want to mention this before, but, but yeah. So asthma affects expiration. Before you go into that, why don't you ask JT if you can try and explain why it's expiration that it affects? Well, I was trying to explain it was inspiration. Okay, but like now that you know it's expiration, can you think of why it might be expiration? No. Okay, Jason, go. Wouldn't it be both? You know, I don't actually understand why it affects expiration. Because you think that narrowing of the airway would affect both inspiration and expiration. But for some reason, uh, so does anyone obstructive know? diseases like, C- like COPD and asthma mainly affect expiration. I think, I think it's because um, if you think what your lungs are doing during expiration versus inspiration. So versus inspiration, you are pulling the diaphragm down. So you are increasing the intrathoracic volume. So you're literally pulling the lungs apart, so you're pulling the airways apart, right? So even if you have a narrowed airway, it's helped on inspiration because those narrow airways are now being pulled open. But then on expiration, you're getting a reduction in intrathoracic volume. So your already narrowed airways are now narrowing more. So the lungs are getting smaller, right? The volume is getting smaller. So then it exacerbates the problem of having narrow airways. But you have narrow, you have smaller volume. Don't you have higher pressure, and then higher pressure will help it like spew out? No, because Air. the pressure that's spewing is not pushing open the airways again. It couldn't. No, because you are reducing the volume by breathing. Oh, you're reducing the diameter. You the mean? diameters, yeah. So that's the volume of air that goes through. Oh, because right. reduced diameter is equivalent to a reduced volume, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Muscle, okay. Yeah. Of the bronchi, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And just to recap, basically. Do you want to get one of us to recap it? Yeah. Yeah. Who Jones in for a recap over there? Uh, okay. So, the first principles um, of asthma: you have to consider the airway in three main layers. You've got the outermost smooth muscle. You've got the middle epithelial connective tissue layer, which has goblet cells and mucus glands, and you've got the inner mucus layer. This is important because when you're trying to treat asthma, you target these layers, the middle um, goblet cell slash airway wall, airway yeah. wall um, layer. You try and prevent airway remodeling and thickness of the airway wall. You try to reduce the airway constriction or bronchoconstriction by using either a short or a long-acting beta-2 agonist. The stepwise management of asthma, to my understanding, 
you start with a low-dose inhaled corticosteroid, ensuring that the patient is well-educated on how to use an inhaler (laughs) and the importance of avoiding triggers in their surrounding environment. If it's not working, and you can tell this if they are still having to use their inhaler multiple times a day, despite being on an inhaled corticosteroid, you then might consider a combined inhaler, which will involve, again, a low-dose corticosteroid inhaled and a long-acting beta agonist. Again, if this isn't working, then Mm. you can consider upping the inhaled corticosteroid Mm. dose um, or consider referrals to specialists Mm. um, for some of those more fancy drugs, such as leukotine receptor antagonist or something. The big boys. Yeah. So that's pretty much the long-term management of asthma. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, Feel free to check out the Notion page as well as leaving a review on Spotify. Cheers. Thank you. Good reviews only. We also have antidotes. <laughs> that depends on your values, right? <laughs> Whether or not you want to be triggered every day or do you want your dog to bring happiness. Thanks for listening, guys. If you liked this episode, feel free to check out the rest of our episodes available on Spotify. Leave us a review and a like. And don't forget to check out all the other resources, including Anki decks of each of the conditions we talk about on the podcast, available on the 1pm Notion website. Thank you.